G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. Age Abuse and Justice started as short videos published on YouTube. I did 15 cases in video format, but it took much longer to record and edit, so gradually I eased out of videos to focus on the podcast. It also allowed me to do cases in more detail. I'm now adding the audio from those video recordings to be available on the podcast channel as well. Please excuse the bad audio, these are made from when I was first learning how to use this equipment so it gets pretty dicey. So this is one of those video recordings. The videos are still available on YouTube if you'd like to check them out. You can search for Age Abuse and Justice or you could look on the New South Wales Legal Aid podcast channel. But I'll also include the links for this case in the notes below. So on to the case. It has almost become a rule of elder law that when one is dealing with an elderly person who is lonely and friendless, a person who befriends her must, if they are to gain a personal benefit, be extremely careful to ensure that there is no unworthy conduct. That is a quote taken from the case we're going to be looking at today. Statistics show that elder abuse is most commonly perpetrated by the children of the older person uh, and then after that by the spouse. But today we are going to look at a case where it was a friend. Judith Drake owned a beauty salon and Dorothy Badman was a customer there. Dorothy was in her 80s and she was estranged from her only son and very lonely. She became friends with Judith and soon was relying on Judith for assistance with, um, with her grocery shopping and taking her to medical appointments. In 2006, when Dorothy was 85 years old, she appointed her friend Judith and Judith's husband Lawrence, as well as her accountant, to all three be her executors under her will, her attorney and her guardian. This shows a lot of trust that she had in Judith and Lawrence that she would appoint them to be her attorneys, able to decide what happens with her money and property if she was ever to lose capacity, and to appoint them as her guardians to decide what would happen with her medical care if she ever lost capacity. In early 2007, Dorothy had a heart attack and her health went downhill after that. By the end of the year, she needed to go into aged care. Judith and Lawrence Drake around this time were experiencing some financial difficulty. They owned the house they lived in in Rouse Hill, but it was subject to a complex reverse mortgage type of arrangement and they were facing eviction. So the Drakes got to talking to Dorothy and they explained to Dorothy that they were about to lose their house and they came up with this plan. So the Drakes didn't want to lose their house. Dorothy didn't want to stay in aged care. Why don't they live together and Dorothy could provide the money that was needed. The Drakes called Carol Flanagan and they said to her that Dorothy had agreed to buy their house for them. The proposal was that Dorothy would contribute $343,000 to the purchase of the property and she would be given the right to reside there for the rest of her life. Carol Flanagan had a meeting with Dorothy and the Drakes and the meeting went for over two hours. During the meeting they discussed this arrangement Carol warned Dorothy against spending so much of her money without any guarantee. So she wanted Dorothy to protect her right to reside in the property and make sure that it was secure. Carol advised Dorothy not to put forward so much money until she had protected her interest 
And she recommended to the Drakes that they go see their own solicitor and get independent legal advice. Flanagan also wanted Dorothy to get a medical assessment to prove that she had the capacity to do this transaction at this time. Four days later, the Drakes met with the solicitor, Michael Maddick. Michael Maddick was concerned that the Protective Commission would not like the transaction and that they would overturn it. He suggested instead that what they do would be to purchase the property together and their ownership would reflect their contribution. So the Drakes already owned a $180,000 share in the property and Dorothy was going to contribute $345,000. So he suggested that she go on title for a 66% share ownership in the property. When I say that Michael was worried about the Protective Commission not liking this transaction, what I'm referring to is what is now known as the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian. And they protect people who do not have the capacity to protect themselves. So what he was really warning of is that maybe years down the track, if anyone looked at this transaction and was concerned that Dorothy didn't know what she was doing and that the Drakes had taken advantage of her, that they could then start legal proceedings against the Drakes trying to get this money back. And acting as their solicitor, he was warning them about this and advising them, that, advising them of ways they could protect themselves. However, perhaps the Drakes didn't see it this way. And less than two weeks later, they decided that the solicitors involved were taking too long and they started taking steps into their own hands. The Drakes contacted Dorothy's accountant and they instructed him to sell her shares. The accountant wanted to talk to Dorothy first, but she wasn't available. And because the Drakes were appointed as Dorothy's attorneys, the accountant had no option but to follow the instructions. So he sold the shares and the proceeds brought in about $260,000. The Drakes got the rest of the funds by closing out Dorothy's term deposit accounts. The solicitor for the Drakes, Michael Maddick, started getting concerned that they were pushing through this transaction too quickly, that they were rushing it so that Dorothy wouldn't get proper advice and wouldn't change her mind. And he thought that this indicated that the transaction wasn't above board. He was concerned that it was an unethical transaction and he stepped back and said, I can no longer act as solicitor for the Drakes. Carol Flanagan was still acting for Dorothy, however, and she was still pushing for Dorothy to get a medical assessment. Before that could happen, however, Carol Flanagan got a handwritten note from Dorothy saying time was up and that she was no longer needed to act. Initially, the contract had been prepared so that it was Dorothy's name down as the purchaser of this Rouse Hill property, meaning that Dorothy would be the owner. But somewhere along the line, the contract was changed and it was now Judith and Lawrence Drake who were going to be the purchasers and owners. The transaction went through and Dorothy contributed the $345,000 required. Now, the court doesn't go into exactly what it was that made Dorothy decide that she wanted her money back and to start legal proceedings against the Drakes. One thing it might have been would be something the Drakes did soon after everything was finalised. The, the money was paid and the property secured in early February 2008. And only in July 2008, the Drakes once again sold their property. And it was a similar scheme to the one they had before. So they would receive the sum of $167,000 with the right to reside in the property for the rest of their lives. 
It might have been this that concerned Dorothy, that she had put forward $345,000 in order to secure a home for herself and for the Drakes that wasn't at risk, that couldn't be taken away from them. And yet only a couple of months later, the Drakes have entered into another financial transaction where they get $167,000 and, and the property is now no longer secure. However, the Drake said that Dorothy only started these proceedings because her son told her to. So Dorothy's son had been estranged from her, but he came back into her life around the times of this, the time of this proceeding. And according to the Drakes, they said that the son didn't like the fact that his mother had given away so much of her money. He wanted it back so that he could ultimately inherit it. And so he got back into his mother's life and he started talking to her and warned her and scared her so that she started these legal proceedings. Either way, no matter what it was that prompted Dorothy, she started these proceedings in the court. The medical records show that Dorothy was actually doing quite well at the time of the transaction and there wasn't concerns about her mental capacity. So had she been allowed to get full legal advice throughout the procedure and had it not been so rushed through, the court might have actually upheld the transaction and left things as they were. Instead, the court found that because Dorothy was elderly and isolated and lonely, she was vulnerable. And she was also completely reliant on the Drakes for her ongoing care and to prevent her having to go back into aged care. And they said this was a classic case of undue influence. The court then needed to decide what would be an appropriate remedy. Dorothy was asking that the house be transferred into her name. But the court said that this would be to benefit her too much, especially because the house had increased by 40% in value. Instead, they said she was entitled to her money back, the $345,000 plus interest. I like this case because it gives me vindication. I have had clients come to me in the past wanting similar arrangements or other types of granny flats arrangements where money is provided in exchange for a right to reside. And the advice that I give is normally incredibly complex and goes into a lot of details about how this kind of arrangement can go wrong. So it, how it might affect your pension, what happens if someone dies, what happens if a party divorces, what happens if someone goes bankrupt, can the bank claim the property, or what happens if you just have a change of mind, can you get your money back? So I would go into a lot of details, I'll talk about the pros and cons, and I'd wanna also talk about other options. And you can kind of see that happening in this case. And when I've done that in the past, I have had clients criticize me and say that I'm trying to make the arrangement more complex than it needs to be, that I'm trying to waste their time or drum up some fees, when what I'm really trying to do is just to protect them. And a part of that protection is also protecting the transaction down the track. So if this transaction is really what Dorothy wants to do, you would need to set it up so that if for some reason the Protective Commission or the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian, as they're now called, looked at the arrangement a couple of years down the track and started going, was this done correctly? Has there been any unworthy conduct? The answer would be no. You would have medical records to confirm that Dorothy understood what she was doing. You would have evidence that she received appropriate legal advice. And this would make it harder for the transaction to be undone. And that's part of the solicitor's role. 
I could see where the solicitors in this case were trying to protect their clients. Unfortunately, maybe their clients didn't see it exactly the same way and it's resulted in the transaction being undone. So that is my case. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll join me for my next one.